podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota, the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. With a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices? Do you really think you can stand in our way? Think again. Toyota Hybrids. Find yours at Toyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Based on manufacturer estimates, see why 2000 through 2021 sales. It is the Blue Room. It is your weekly show. I am Matt Jones, and things are very bleak for Everton at the moment. On the in the relegation zone after the Merseyside derby defeat on Sunday and with a game against Chelsea this weekend, who before they played Manchester United on Thursday, as Mick Green also said on Subs Weekly yesterday, have won eight away games in a row. So ominous stuff there as well. But we'll try and be relatively positive. And joining me this week, um, nobody else wanted to speak about Everton, but I'm quite glad that it's just me <laughs> and Rob today because I feel like Rob deserves his own show sometimes. And it's been a while <laughs> since he's been on. So... Rob, welcome, welcome. I mean, I mean, I suppose that you've got your little soapbox here that the platform is yours to just talk about whatever you want. Yeah, like why have I never gotten my own podcast in the blue room? That's what I want to know. Uh, <laughs> so, no, Matt, it's good to join you. Um, I have had a lot of, uh, as we were talking about before we hit record, I've had a lot of uh, life stuff happening. Uh, some of it good, some of it uh, a little tough, but. Uh, I've it's it's been oddly all kind of a good distraction from the kind of slow motion car crash. It feels like we've been watching all season long. And uh, now we're uh, now I, I, I return to the blue room right as we have officially entered the uh, the the relegation spots <laughs> in the table. So uh, I don't know if I'm going to be the dose of positivity that you're looking for, but uh, I'll do my best. Well, 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 let's start there. I mean, how, how are you feeling about the, the situation at the moment on the on the Everton are going down scale? Are you buying your Skybet Championship shirt, or <laughs> do you, you know, or, or do you think there's still something that that's there to get us out of it? Yeah, I, I think that that there are different days, and, and I imagine that there are others who are quite the same. Where when I wake up each day and I think about Everton, I'm finding myself feeling uh, different feelings. Sometimes uh, there are, there is everything from, and maybe these are like those stages of grief that you always hear about. Uh, maybe I'm going through the process of, of, of grief and anger and denial and acceptance and all of these things. Um, you know, it's weird because people kind of present it as a binary choice, right? Like you either believe, believe we're going to you know rally and stay up or you believe that we're doomed and i i don't know that it's it's as simple as that um on the one hand i think that i have become over the course of this season and let's be honest matt this is it, it, what is happening this season is is 
it genuinely is several years worth of, of whether you want to call it bad decisions combined with injuries combined with, um, you know, just poor leadership. I mean, it, it, you know, relegation doesn't just happen, you know, because you had one unlucky season, right? Like it's, it's all of these things. Right. So I think understanding that big picture has allowed me to kind of process this in a way where I think where I'm at right now is I am generally in in an acceptance mode of whatever happens happens at this point you know what I mean like I I think that Everton are going to get exactly what Everton deserve um, and what I mean by, and I mean that in the, in the most literal way possible and, and, and that just simply means that they have six games. Uh, which for those of us who follow other sports, six games is still a lot. <laughs> That's still a lot of, it doesn't feel like a lot right now, but, it, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be optimistic here, but what I mean tied back to that original comment about Everton getting what they deserve, I just simply mean that, look, Everton will, you know, the, the club, the, these players and this manager, they're either going to produce what they need to produce in order to stay up, or they won't because they are either incapable of it or like, I, I don't even know that it's about, about being motivated or, or any of those things. I think that the, I think the panic button has probably been pushed a while back at Finch farm. I think that. See, I, I disagree with that. I, 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 I don't think it's really would have hit them until now. And, I, and I'm saying okay. that based on what Mason Holgate said in his comments a few weeks ago. <laughs> Mason what, Holgate, the, the spokesman for this thing. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and, but the, there were similar ones, weren't there as well, from Alan. And you can go all the way back to, to January when, yeah. you know, and I've, I've stressed this point a lot on, on our shows recently, but you go back to January when Everson sold one of their best and most dependable footballers because he fell out with a manager who they then sacked three days later. I mean, that, right. that's that, they're not the actions of a, a football club that... The thinks they're in real danger. You know, you don't right. go out, oh, completely. You don't you don't wait two weeks to appoint a manager and and go through this crazy sort of X factor, you know, audition process and appointment process. If you think you're in danger, it it it, it didn't really feel to me as though. And obviously, you're not going to come out and go, "Oh my word, they're all terrified about going down." But but yeah. reading between the lines, it didn't really feel like anyone was really onto or appreciative of the the sort of peril that Everton were in. Well, I, I think, and to clarify my point, um, have we collectively as a fan base been more worried about this longer than the, the team has? Absolutely. I, I don't think there's any question of that. I think that when you are, when you are on a, a player on a team full of guys who have never experienced anything like this, and you have to remember that professional athletes, generally speaking, not, not all of them, have that natural kind of super ego that just keeps them from even acknowledging the possibility that this sort of calamity could even happen to them, right? Like, like even a, a footballer as terrible as Mason Holgate just is too cocky and confident to think this could happen to him, right? And that's why he said what he said. But I, I, when I say I think that they internally now, I think it's real to them. I, I think that to me, that moment was, um, you know, I think a lot of us felt like it would have been going into the Newcastle game. Uh, but but when Alex Awobi kind of rescued Everton from from death at that point, I think that there was a belief, and and I probably shared it too that 
okay, we're, we're going to get out of this. And I, I think though, that the, the defeat at Burnley is when they, this, that's when, you know, quote shit got real, you know I mean? I think that that's when they started to realize that this is a, this, they are in a real fight now. Um, you saw Richarlison's Instagram post after, after um, the, after the Derby on Sunday, I think he, he knows where they're at. I think he is promising they're going to get like, I think they're having to now talk themselves into it. Like we, you know, we're going to rally and maybe this is, and I don't know enough, Matt, to know like what, what becomes the psyche of the clubs that fight their way out of it when they get to this point with five or six or seven games left. Um, do they go into that self-persuasion mode of saying, we're going to do it. We, we just have to rally around this belief um, even if there's not up to this point evidence to suggest that we ought to have such belief. I think that they are, I think that they're in that mode now where there isn't really a choice and some hard, cho- you know, some hard decisions that had to be made about, you know, team selection and uh, you call it expected losses or whatever, but whether it's like benching Yerry, you know, like just not even putting Yerry mean on the squad in the squad on Sunday, because they, they want to keep, they want to keep him wrapped in, in cellophane for as many appearances as possible. I mean, I think that, I think that Lampard knows, knows what, what they're in, but I, I look, I, I, when I say that they're going to get what they deserve, I, I think, look, if, if Everton are relegated, there can't be any complaints about the idea that Everton didn't deserve this with all the things that they've done wrong. I think, and we can go on to talk about this if you want later. I think that there's absolutely a conversation to be had about the precise number of points that the persistent systemic, uh, you know, mediocrity, which is probably a kind word for the officiating in this league, have cost Everton over the course of a season. Uh, but ultimately, I think that if you are at the end of the season blaming blaming it on the officials without also acknowledging all of the other things, then then you're in a bit of denial. So if Everton go down, they they they, they deserve it. If they stay up, that means that they will have rallied from this point post post uh, Merseyside Derby to to perform in such a manner that they could either drag leads back into it, you know, uh, keep Burnley down, whatever. I, I don't know, but I don't know what that scenario necessarily looks like. But it's all in front of Everton. I, I don't yeah. think Burnley are going to win every other game they have left. I think right now, when when a team like Burnley win two in a row, there's this feeling that they're going to just they're never going to lose again. And when we have have not, you know, when we we draw against Leicester, which was frustrating, we lost to Burnley, which we should have at least drawn that game and if not won it. I think that you feel like you're never going to win again. Six games is still, you know, there's a lot of time for that to happen. There's Goodison, there are all these things. So I don't really know how I feel, Matt, in terms of, I just think it's pointless to make a prediction at this point. The odds say, the percentages say, and believe me, I check 538 every day like I used to before the election over here in the U.S. But, <laughs> uh, you know, right now we're at 53% to go down. So now Everton are officially the underdog, the underdog in this scenario. 
how they respond to it and how this club collectively responds to it um, is, is going to be the test. And frankly, um, I, I think that I don't want to hear any more about how the fans need to be called upon to rat. Like the fans have already been rallying. The fans yeah. have done their part. They do their part all the time. We had that discussion months back, like asking this team to do more. Uh, I think we were talking about heading into Newcastle, like asking these fans to do more is, is not the play here. Yes. They need to be loud at Goodison and, and create that atmosphere. But at the end of the day, this is just about wins and losses at this point. Everton just have to find ways to, to, to get wins, get points and, just find a way out of it. And if they don't, they don't. And if they do, then, then we can talk about next season and, and spend a boring summer, uh, you know, talking once again about all the transfers we wish they would do. But I, I, I want us to stay up. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just kind of resigned to whatever fate uh, is coming our way at this point. I think he, there's a couple of things you've said there that I think are really interesting. And one of them certainly for me is, is that idea of, of mentality and, it, it, it does just feel like there's so many conflicting things at work there in regards to whether the mentality of this team at the moment is good or not. Because I think if someone had said to you before, United, Leicester and Liverpool, that we're going to take four points. I mean, I, I might be speaking for myself here, but I, I would have, I don't know about you, Rob, but would you have yeah. taken that for the three games? Uh, for sure, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I would have preferred, I you know, not even joking about nine points, but I would have preferred that we get two wins out of that, but four points given, given what we looked at on paper as our fixtures, then yeah, I would have taken it. And I suppose, I think the one for me in particular, going into that Manchester United game, everyone was so flat and so downbeat after what happened to Burnley and thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. This, this is it. And then obviously walking out of there, everyone was delighted. We got that late goal against Leicester, of course. We'll come on to speak about the derby a little bit later on, but you know, for, for an hour and borrowing a, you know, if Everton had a strong referee, they, they weren't a million miles away potentially from, from getting something out of that. So I think in the last three games, they've done relatively well. At home, they've got seven points from, from the last nine. Of course, the away record is abominable and has been for a long time. But there are there are things to be clinging on to and grasping onto, I think, in, in the last few games that you can sort of say, well, yeah, this, this has been good. That's been good. Yeah. And I'm sure the manager's stressing about the defensive performance for an hour at the weekend. I'm sure he's stressing about the way Anthony Gordon's playing and, and trying to get all those positive points across. But I think you, you mentioned something there about the referees as well. And I think this also buys into the fact of the fact that Everton have been so poor for so long going into this point of the season. They've left themselves in an area where there's a margin for error, haven't they? And it's it's a margin forever in, in the literal case when it comes to the referees where if you have four or five bad decisions in, in 10 games when you're down at the bottom because you've been so poor all season, well, tough shit. That, that sort of, you know, you've left yourself there by your poor performance. And I'm sure yeah. there's other teams up and down the country who are saying, well, look at these decisions we've had as well. And, you know, I, I thought it was quite interesting though yesterday. I don't know if you saw this piece, Rob, but uh, Adam at the Echo did a, a, a piece of, 10 times Everton have been wrongly done by VAR this season. I thought, well, <laughs> that, 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 that is a lot to be fair. Yeah. The, the other, the other thing as well, which it is a bit like margin of error, but not quite in, in the literal sense as the referees, but when you're down there and teams haven't been winning all season and you're thinking all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're going to be okay here because Burnley have been, have been shy for ages and, and you know, they've won four games all season. Where you're also leaving yourself vulnerable is that if one of those teams, for example, changes the manager and all of a sudden yes. gets the new lease of life and gets seven points from nine in, in all games, such as the home games, then you leave yourself open then as well, don't you? So yeah. in, in those senses, Everton have only got themselves to blame and, and I completely agree with you, but 
I did want to speak a little bit about about the derby as well, mate. And okay. I'm, I'm glad that you're on in particular because I've seen you obviously have uh, chats about VAR uh, a lot on, on social media with with, yeah. with various people. And you know, well, and, and to be clear, Matt, VAR is is not my is not the enemy. It's the application of it. But yes, continue. <laughs> what, what, what did you make of what went on 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 Sunday? Because you know, I mean, like I said, I, I don't think I don't think we can realistically sit here and say. Everton deserved, definitely deserved the point from that game. Maybe they, they, they did. But it felt like to me that the idea going into that game was potentially to get to 60 or 70 minutes and just see, sort of see what happens. You know, if you've got 11 lads out on the pitch there at that point who are dead on the feet, then so would be it. If we get there and we're 1-0 down or it's 0-0, then that, that's probably a good position for Everton. And I also feel like the other thing we tried to do was frustrate their players and fans and potentially, as a, as a consequence of that, is maybe get one of their lads sent off. And, and listen, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and and you know, going back last week, if people listened to the shows that, that me and Dave did, and we sort of said, well, what do Everton need to do to, to win this game or, or get a point in this game at the weekend? We both sort of jokingly said, well, we need Liverpool to be down to 10 men. But in, re- in reality, that's probably the, the pragmatic way to, to, to go about it. And I think in some senses, you know, both of those game plans, that, that you know, they get into 70 minutes or 60 minutes on, with, with, you know, with the game still in the balance, would be it one nil to them, one nil to us, or nil nil, or it being a draw, and potentially getting one of their players sent off, just because we frustrated them and riled them and got them so angry. Yeah. Everton sort of succeeded in, in both of them, didn't they? You know, Sadio Mane completely lost the plot at one point and shoves Alan in the face and then pokes, uh, pokes makes a Holgate in the eye, and then of course starts the second half. Everton come out and defend, but they start counter attacking well. They, they get in a few times. And they should have a penalty there as well. So mm-hmm. as, as much as Everton lost the game, Liverpool dominated for long spells, eventually probably created the, the better chances in the football match. With a stronger referee and a stronger set of officials, <laughs> I, don't think, I, I don't think it's beyond the, the possibility or the realm's possibility to say, well, Everton did the two things they really needed to do going into that game absolutely perfectly. Oh, wow, there's a lot to unpack there, Matt. Uh, yes, <laughs> I... <laughs> Look, I'm... Um... You will read and certainly have been inundated with uh, several pieces by national journalists who have deigned to come down from their, uh, you know, from their lofty castles to, you know, thumb their nose at Everton and how ugly they chose to play that game and how, you know, (laughs) without, of course, mentioning any of the controversial refereeing decisions and just basically, you know, it's, it's real easy when you you have the best, you have the best team in Europe going up against a relegation uh, threatened side and to then uh, and to then just kind of uh, just to kind of dismissively um, and condescendingly, I must say, the Jonathan Liu piece or, or any of these others where where it just talks about uh, it just talks about uh, Everton not being even in the same class as if that's some sort of deep insight that we didn't already know. But then having the gall to do that and talk about that game without really acknowledging, frankly, that um that 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 it's bad enough that one side in a in a league that is supposed to be one of the best in the world uh, that there is a chasm between one team and, and another in such a dramatic way is is to me an indictment of of this entire system and the entire league setup. But that's a whole other conversation. But for them to not even, you know, to write these pieces, uh, you know, whether it's 
essentially accusing Anthony Gordon of being some kind of soft uh, player or a player who's trying to deceive the refs or, or to not even discuss these just absolutely, um, you know, crystal clear penalties. Uh, And just to leave that out of the context, it, it really is a case of, History is written by the winners, and in in the case of the Premier League, history is written by the winners and the winners' media who seem to fawn over them at every possible chance uh, that you have a quote-unquote refereeing expert who is paid probably more money than I make every year to go on to Sky once a week and to just literally not even acknowledge what he's seeing on the screen and just say, no, it's not a penalty. No, it's not a penalty. I mean, I'd love for I'd love for him to have even a diversity of opinions every once in a while, but he doesn't. Everton played that the way they had to play it. I want to see and frankly need to see and I think all of us need to see fight edge. Um, a little nastiness. This should have, you can say, of course, that all of that fight and nastiness and edge should have been there all season long. And and look, we can, we'll have plenty of time this summer, no matter what happens to to relitigate the calamity of this season one way or the other. But Everton played that the way that they should have. They had opportunities. And I, I would say that as much as the, the re- you know, it's funny how you say a stronger referee. I mean, who is this stronger referee instead of officials? Uh, I think that becomes the problem when we analyze the Premier League, you know, these games and the way it just seems to coincidentally happen every time we play a team with, a, you know, a tons more money invested in it and, and uh, you know, every possible advantage uh, over us that, that uh, wow, these decisions uh, just, it, it's one thing if, if they're earning penalties because, look, they, they have better players and they're more skilled and therefore they're going to draw tackles and they're going to draw penalties. But for our players to actually do the things that we've told them to do, work hard, get, get opportunities, get a creative scoring chance. And then they're fouled. And then they get that advantage too. I mean, how many more advantages do the same two or three sides in this, in this uh, league need, I think becomes the question, but all of that said, uh, Everton had chances to score and they didn't. Um, I think that, you know, I think the same thing can be said uh, in the Leicester game, in the Burnley game. There, there have just been guilt edged chances that have been missed. And and as much as I um, as much as I am, you know, the first to condemn what is very clearly a, um, a, a piss poor uh, refereeing setup that appears to have no consequences for performance, no incentivization for them to be better, no transparency, uh, no, uh, no willingness on the part of the Premier League to uh, issue a statement unless the, the manager has the gall to even suggest that uh, something didn't go their way. That's when they start acting up and deciding that they want to talk about it. I mean, all that aside, Everton had chances in that game. I think that they probably played it given who they had the best that they could. And if we continue to go back to this, Matt, I think that you were right in that, you know, you can talk about if you've gotten to this point of the season and you're in these positions, refereeing decisions feel harsher because uh, you've dug yourself this hole. Um, but the reason that Everton are in this position beyond just their, their lackluster effort over the course of the season is frankly that 
they've just had a, a, a ridiculous slew of injuries. Uh, they have had managerial upheaval. They've had the, the wrong leadership setup. They've had inconsistencies at board level. They've had everything. They've had the entire party platter of things that get teams relegated. And so I think that, that, that they gave a great effort and I don't really fault the effort. And believe me, I have faulted the effort many times uh, for Everton this season. I, I don't fault the, the way that they made an effort to, to try to stay in that game on, on Sunday, but they were playing one of the two best sides in Europe. So, I mean, I, the, the result is not really a shock. Um, it just is, it, it does feel even more demoralizing when you are already in a perpetual state of demoralization to then have the referees put their thumb on a scale that is already weighted so heavily to the same three or four sides in this league. I think that's what, I think that's what makes people upset. And I would again, implore people don't get, you know, you get mad at each individual incident or each individual game, you're missing the bigger picture. It's like this every game. This the, the results are the same every season. Uh, Gavin Buckland put up that tweet that that I thought is it was no coincidence whatsoever. You know, Premier League penalties awarded uh, for the opponents of City and Liverpool in 2019-2020 uh, with. Um, you know, in a season where they only had, they had crowds to march, you know, only only two penalties awarded. But then when there were no crowds, 18 penalties for the 2021 season and then 2021-22, one penalty against both of those sides this season. Like, think about that. I, I just it, it is just it's mind boggling. And I, I, I the idea that they just don't commit penalties or commit fouls is it just it 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 it, it stretches any kind kind of credibility and and that's why so many feel it's so criminal but Everton did you know to finish my long run Everton did what they had to do to try and stay in the game now they need to take that effort and put it into these winnable games that they've got coming up yeah I mean I couldn't agree anymore with with any of that and I just wanted to we spoken about him there in regards to the decisions but but Andy Gordon Rob what, what did you make of his performance because you know, I think a couple of years ago now, when he first broke onto the scene and he got in the team, I remember me and you having a conversation about how excited we were about him. And yeah, you know, of course, he, he went away to Preston last year, didn't really work out for him, knocking on Carlo Angelotti's door. Maybe it wasn't the best move to say, I want, I want more minutes. <laughs> um, and he, he sort of, even at the start of this season, I think a lot of us expected him to, to move on and, and go and play somewhere in the championship. And he ended up staying. And again, I, I don't really think anyone thought he was going to be a, a real first team fixture when with Damari Gray and Andros Townsend coming in of course we still have a Charles who could play wide we had a Wobie as, as well but I mean he's been the success story of the season and I think yeah. it's a, a massive testament to him that at times at the weekend he was effectively leading a, a one-man attack and and even though he was up against two three four Liverpool plays at times he, he was winning free kicks he was getting into the box he was making stuff happen he obviously should have won that penalty in the second half he's you know, listen, it's been an utterly miserable season full of full of different nadirs where you feel as though the team can't get any lower. But but that lad deserves so much credit, I think, for the way in which he's acquitted himself over the, the course of the campaign. Absolutely. And I I <laughs> he's the player of the season, and yet he it's not like he has a ton of goals and assists either, but yet he's so integral to this thing even if the thing we're talking about has is in relegation form it's not his fault 
Um, he has been the, the, he's just kept this engine going. I, I think that he has dragged uh, Everton a little further with the, the, with his play overall. And, and what's great is that you can see, you can see the development and the growth happening before your eyes. You can see him becoming a player next season. who starts to, you know, put more of those balls into the back of the net who starts to find that, that more precise pass because he's started to figure out uh, how to, to leverage his, his particular physical traits and his skill set. And, and again, I, I think I would say that we need to look at Ant- Anthony Gordon and remember uh, what I think many of us, including myself, Matt, have probably banged our fists onto the table and, and demanded over the last several seasons, which is, uh, the, the, the value and the potential upside reward of playing young players. Uh, and that means, by the way, playing, playing guys like Anthony Gordon through their struggles, playing guys like Mikolinko, by the way, who look at him, who's, you know, exactly. went from, yeah, yeah. he was really good last Sunday. I, I, I think that, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling him Leighton Baines or whatever, but it's not a coincidence that these young players who are not familiar uh, just because you can't be familiar watching it. You have to be familiar in terms of, 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 uh, you know, from a, a tactile perspective, like a, a you know, tangibly being in that feeling of of playing in the league, understanding the speed, the physicality, all these things. And there's only one way to do it, and that's why playing. And I think that in an ordinary season where we're just you know mediocre in the middle of the table, uh, maybe you have uh, even more of that. But Mikolinko has had to play out of necessity. Gordon has had to play out of necessity to a large degree, but also just because Gordon's performances would, you know, would not, he would not be denied playing time at a certain point. You know, there's, there's knocking on the door of Carlo Ancelotti. Then there is, you know, taking whatever minutes you've got and making the most of them. But, but ultimately this is, you know, and this frankly is why the sidelining of Nathan Patterson, when we just had to buy him in January was all the more mystifying to me. Um, I wonder what kind of player Nathan Patterson might look like if we had just decided to give him, you know, feed him some consistent minutes that for some reason <laughs> went to John Joe Kenny. And, and I guess Seamus Coleman is the captain and you got to play him. And I, I'm not even going to argue anymore as to, you know, I, Seamus Coleman will be there. We're starting it right back when we open Bramley Moore. I get it. But I, I don't, I think that Anthony Gordon is a testament to uh, the sheer power of will. He came into this season uh, in the best shape of his career, if you believe his Instagram, and, and you you certainly have seen the, the end product continue to get better and better. And I, the trajectory in the arrow is only pointed up for him. You know, the question will be on a player like Gordon, who many think are, is going to be someone who will be playing consistently for England. And, and become potentially, I don't, I don't want to call him a star yet, but man, I'd just be happy with a really good young player being produced by Everton. Like, let's start with that. Um, but, but if we're relegated, what is, what, what is his future? Do, you know, can the club keep him uh, in, in a, in a season in the championship because he's certainly going to have suitors. And so um, there's so much on the line here, but ultimately the development of Gordon has been in a, in a season full of bad stories. It has been the best story story uh by miles yeah he's been absolutely marvelous and just a couple of moments i think at, at the weekend uh, like little things i've not seen him necessarily do before i think it was that one in the second half where 
he knocked it round Kiter and just sort of you know went off the pitch, didn't he? Sort of Gareth Bale esque and, and sprinted <laughs> round him and then knocked it past Alexander Arnold before he got he got hacked down. Where I thought you know it takes it takes a lot of belief and confidence to be able to do something like that when you're penned in away from home at Anfield and you know, the games are on knife edge. So just 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 real credit to him and, and yeah, he seems up for it i mean yeah. you you can you can analyze his particular skill set all you want uh and, and the numbers and and what have you but at the end of the day he's up for the fight every single week and he plays with a chip on his shoulder and you know for some players that works and for some it doesn't but for him it works and you just want to see more of it yeah and you know he sort of got that that Scouse football swagger about him, hasn't he? You know, and to, to, go and, to go and say to Carlo Angelotti, you know, why aren't he in the team? I suppose that in itself shows that. And as much as that may have been a little bit premature, you know, that, that in itself shows the inherent belief he's got in his ability and yeah. just, just made up for him. And just, just very quickly, Rob, before we speak about the Chelsea game, because I know we're, we're on a bit of a, a time schedule today, but Mikolenko, I did want to speak about him as well. Very briefly mentioned him just there, but... Like you said, it, it, I don't think it's any coincidence that after playing, I think that was his fifth game in a row, which he started. Yeah. He came into the team against West Ham, obviously played against Burnley, and then Man United, Leicester. I thought he was excellent in those two home games, and then at the weekend up against mm. you know, that right side of, of Salah and Alexander Arnold is incredible, yeah. incredibly good, and you know they are so effective. But and listen, maybe if you're being very, very, very critical, you say you maybe switches up a little tiny bit for, for their opening goal, but. You know, there were a couple of times in each half, really, during the game where Salah sort of squared him up and you're sitting there thinking, oh, no, where we go? You know, this 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 fella's just going to breeze past them because Salah is is that good. But he stood his ground and won the ball back. And he's, that's a part of his game. I think he really seems to relish that those one-on-one battles. And I've, I've not mm-hmm. really seen anyone. I've seen people get around him with, you know, clever movements and, and quick passing a little bit. But in terms of those one-on-one battles, I think of a winger squares him up, then I can't really remember him being completely beaten yet in his Everton career. Yeah, well, it seems like um, for all the talk that there has been about how the fullback position has become so fundamentally different, uh, and rightly so over, you know, the, this, you know, in the midst of this particular era of Premier League football and, and really modern football in general, um, it is interesting and in a way for me, really encouraging to see someone as young as him build his confidence in development. Like, like when we talk about Gordon, he's gaining confidence because he's playing and suddenly his attacking, uh, his attacking prowess and confidence is building because, you know, through, through his uh, offensive game. Whereas I think with Mikulinko, it's different. I think he is actually trying to, to build on a foundation of being really good defensively. And um, I, I, I still want to see more development over time. Like I'm sure we all do in terms of his ability to add more more of a dimension to the attacking side of things but I I think that having a young player come in and say you know I'm going to this is going to be the first the challenge that I really take on is to is to you know sink or swim in this league you've you've got to be able to um, you know take responsibility for helping to neutralize the perimeter attacking of these elite sides especially Um, that's really the difference between the, the very best side and, and the others is their their ability to attack you in waves down those those uh, down those 
edges. Uh, and, and, and for Mikolinko to really kind of embrace that challenge, to embrace the, the, the toughness that's needed for it. He looked a little lost uh, at the beginning of his time at Everton, like he would reasonably expect, frankly, jumping up not only one league, but really two leagues, you know, in terms of, of, of skill and, and talent and speed and whatever compared to the Ukrainian league. And then not even to mention all the context of what's going on in his life and in his world right now. But for him to be able to do that, you're seeing now this pattern over the last several games where as he has gotten minutes on the pitch, the more he clearly looks like he feels that he belongs, if that makes sense. Meaning that not only does he look like he belongs, but he seems to believe it too. I think that Mikolinko is is starting to really relish this and he's starting to feel like, you know, that, that that light has clicked on and said, yes, I belong in this league. I can absolutely contribute. Um, and, and really, when you're talking about a relegation threat inside, and maybe that's the the answer to the question about Patterson versus Mikolinko, besides the fact that there were no other left backs to play. I think that Patterson has all this upside attacking wise, but what's ultimately needed right now are defenders on that pitch full of commitment. And Mikolinko, for, for being as young as he is, is, is certainly one of the one of the the people you know one of the players who's leading the way in that regard defensively and so really really encouraging to see yeah it felt like that united game was really important for him and obviously yes. you see that with that celebration at the final whistle couldn't you that that image of him in a wobi so oh, yeah collapsed into the knees and you know i have to, I have to admit I had, I had big doubts about him early in his everton career but i think sure. when you consider what's going on in, obviously in regards to his family and, and his homeland and, and all the other factors that, that come with moving to a Premier League mid-season to a struggling side. It's, um, I think he's done really well and quickly becoming one of my favourite players. But just just quickly, Rob, before we wrap up, obviously we're sort of in the middle of the week now. We're looking forward to that game against Chelsea on Sunday. Like, like I said, I think they go to Manchester United on Thursday. Which probably helps us, to be fair, although they have got a ridiculous squad and I'm sure they'll be able to rotate yeah. a lot of players. But I think they've lost to Goodison the last three times they've been. Obviously, they're playing very well away from home at the moment. And it, I suppose it's it's going to be called a lot this game by what happens at the weekend, uh, sorry, on, on Saturday, because there's a good chance that if Burnley win, they'll be five points ahead of us. And they, of course, have got Watford, who are on a spectacularly bad home run at the moment, a record-breakingly bad home run. Leeds play Manchester City at half five. I mean, if, if they won or got something from that game, that'd be an, an utter kick in the bollocks. But yeah, what are you, what are your thoughts heading into, into that game against Chelsea? Is, is it one of them you look at and think do you put it in the same sort of bracket as, as United and, and Leicester, or maybe one of those where these are a bit of a level above and maybe a point would be okay? I well, I I fear that with six games left it becomes a mathematical equation now granted the 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 what the events that happen around you influence things but i i i do tend to favor the tone that lampard has taken with all this which is that look we we have to assume that others around us are going to to do their thing and some of that will be them getting points we have six games in front of us and that's 18 possible points that they need to find a way to make hay with. Right. And so I, I, I mean, look, would, would you take a point? I guess, uh, I mean, you'll take any positive result, but really Everton need a win, but I, 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 I don't think I can call it must win quite yet. I guess the results may dictate 
that to a degree, but really the players have spent, you know, not enough time in self-examination. Anyway, they need to really just be focused on their own performance. And, and I think that Chelsea this late in the season, I mean, look, look, it's not a question of, well, are they a more talented side? I mean, why don't we just go ahead and concede going into every single game, the rest of the way that we are playing a side that is either more talented than us or is of equal talent to us. Like if we're talking about Watford or whatever, but look how many games we have lost against sides that are allegedly less talented or equal talent or whatever. Everton truly have learned, hopefully have learned this, this, the squad have learned by now that uh, there, there are no, there are no given gimme results for them. So everything has to be kind of balls to the wall, all out every, you know, maximum turned up to 11 uh, because they don't have the margin of error not to anymore right so having said all of that I look at Chelsea and I think are they are we getting them at a good time in terms of not only their schedule but also the fact that are they at a point now where they don't really have much to play for for the rest of this season right in terms of the the of the of the the Premier League itself you know they're five points ahead of Arsenal with a game in hand uh they're seven points up on fifth place Spurs I they're not catching Liverpool in front of them right Right. So I think that, yes, I mean, it goes without saying they're way more talented. They're a far more expensive squad than we are. I mean, all those things. But uh, at Goodison in a game that you absolutely have to win against a side who is going to show up and, you know, they they may or may not care. It it just depends. Uh, You never know what you're going to get that day. I think Everton have to go into it thinking that they've got a chance to to take a result. They've had uh, good success against Chelsea at Goodison of in recent in the recent past. And so um, I don't know that they need to lean on that too much, but I do think that, that there is an opportunity here for a result against a side that cannot possibly have more motivation going into it than, than Everton does. And so um, I, I, I look, if, 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 if they, if, and we haven't even mentioned Calvert-Lewin yet, I, I, I think if we can, I keep wanting to come back to this, yeah. you know, if, if our best players can, can turn it up now, you know, I, and, and not get injured. I think that we've, got a chance but but the time is running out and I think Chelsea is certainly an opportunity and and for me I I think three points is something that that they should absolutely be going for and aiming for because I'm just not convinced that the Chelsea are going to care nearly as much about this fixture as Everton is and Yerry Mean is going to be back so it's all going to be well of course yeah, well, you know, and all joking aside, like yeah. I, I thought it was the right decision by Lampard to keep him out of the squad. I think that you have to be realistic right now. Every game you have to make, you know, to your point, Matt, about what happens in the games uh, around Everton or whatever, you know, Lampard, ha- Frank Lampard has to keep an eye on those things. But I think he has to be pragmatic in every single game and situation. And if you and if if uh, keeping Yerry Mean out of the squad uh, for a bit, um, you know, or for that game uh, makes a difference in terms of his ability to perform well against Chelsea, then it'll have been worth it. Um, I think what'll be interesting now is that it looks like we're probably going to be getting the old gang back together and, and it's going to be Mina and Keen for the first time since, uh, gosh, you know, over a year probably <laughs> where they were playing in any consistent manner together. I can't even remember. Uh, so that'll be interesting uh, to see. But, you know, for all of the talk of them being sort of a mismatched pairing, they, they, 
historically have played pretty well together. So we're, we're going to have to see how that, that turns out. But Chelsea's a real opportunity. Every single one of these games, Everton have to be absolutely going for the three points. Um, I, they, they've gotten past the the absolutely unwinnable games at this point in their schedule. So now it's it's on to just, uh, you know, give the best that they, they can the rest of the way and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. It's a good way to finish. Uh, Rob, pleasure having you on. It's usually probably quite a short podcast for, for you, that mate, isn't it? You usually go about 20 minutes. You know, <laughs> hey, if I if I if I didn't have a dentist appointment today, I would I would stay on here with you longer, buddy. I'm, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna resist the urge to make a pull on teeth Everton joke there. Pleasure to have you on, mate. I'm sure we'll catch you up again between now and the end of the season, regardless of what happens in the coming days. But for sure, that has been your weekly show. Um, we'll be back later in the week looking ahead to that game against Chelsea, which is obviously enormous. Goodison Park as well. If you want a bit more from us, we've already got a few shows out over on Blue Room Extra. It's patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra if you want to join us. Over there, uh, we will see you again on the other side. <laughs> it's going to be tough. It's going to be horrible. Uh, fingers crossed the Blues can start turning things around this weekend. We'll speak to you soon. Northern Tool and Equipment isn't just a store. It's a problem solver's paradise. Fully stocked with the right professional-grade tools and fully staffed with experts who have the right answers. Problem solved. Northern Tool and Equipment Summer Sale is on now. Stop in and save up to 50% on pressure washers, sprayers, generators, fans, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Hundreds of deals in-store or at northerntool.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.